Well, thank you, Eric, and thank you to missionaries who are here for our missions conference. They all work together this week to make that happen, so wonderful job, everyone. And it draws our heart to the idea that we should be working together for Christ as the theme of our conference has been. If you take your Bible, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. We'll start here in just a moment, and we'll be spending most of our time in the book of Philippians. But if just a moment, we want to look at this chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. I, I want to begin by asking just a very simple question is how, how important or uh, should missionary support, should financial support really be a concern of ours as a local church? Should we farm out support to some other organization or should we take it as seriously as we do? Uh, what role does a local church like ours have in supporting missionaries? It's a privilege to be able to speak to you as a pastor uh, in the presence of missionaries about missions support. The title of the message is The Ministry of Support. And I hope by the end of the message today, um, you'll be able to see what God's Word has to say about this privilege we have in this ministry we have. You know, I think for a lot of Christians, uh, this, this topic, I think this, this issue is not really considered very carefully. For a lot of believers, we tend to downplay the importance of giving towards missions as something extra, Maybe something that uh, can be done, but it's not that essential. I mean, sometimes people do this out of guilt, I think, because we're not giving to the work of the ministry. We're not giving to missions. And we don't think we, maybe we don't think we can afford to give to missions. Maybe we don't think um, uh, we have enough to give to missions, or maybe we, we know we have enough, we just haven't made a priority of giving. Maybe that's the guilt that drives us to maybe ignore this, this topic, or maybe out of frustration. I think some people have been faithfully giving for years to missions, but, but they don't know if their giving has done anything. Like, what good is giving funds to missionaries? I mean, is it really working? Is it really doing anything? People might have these questions, and so we, we, we sometimes are, I, mean, I think, sometimes are, are slightly frustrated or slightly unaware of what God would have us do when it comes to missions. How should we handle these things? Well, I, I hope that you'll notice, and as we talk about here, the ministry of support, this theme at the top of your your, uh, your outline, which is inside your bulletins, that those who've been freed by Jesus should respond by supporting the spread of the gospel. Those who've been freed by Jesus, if you've been liberated from your sin, if you've been free, if you experience the grace of God in your life, you have an obligation to support the ongoing spread of the gospel ministry. Let's pray, and then we'll look at what God's Word has to say. Father, we ask for your grace as we as we dive into your word and look at what it has to say to us, the, the, the words here are your words. They're breath of life. And so today, Lord, may we, may we learn from them. May we be transformed by them. May we take them in and make them a part of how we think and how we operate, that we could truly live a life that points to Christ, a life that is focused on you, and we can proclaim the message that Jesus indeed saves Bless now this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 16, uh, you know, we have the book of Philippians, which we'll turn to in a minute, was written by the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. That's why it's called Philippians, is to the church at Philippi. And, and we have an account of this church being established in Acts 16. And I just asked a simple question. I mean, we could preach messages upon messages on this chapter alone, but I want to just ask a simple question. What kind of people were in that first church? What kind of folks do we have in the church at Philippi? Well, in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 9, we see this call of the Macedonian man who pleads with Paul, and God uses this dream that Paul has of the Macedonian call 
to go and change direction. See, Philippi was not intention, where, where Paul was initially going to go, but God used this, this dream to draw him towards his area, and so he turns and goes towards Philippi. Look at verse 13. Once they get there, they go to where the people are. It says in verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where the prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Paul and his companions go and they meet with some women. They meet a woman named Lydia, who's a seller of purple, and she is uh, immediately uh, interested in the message of Christ and is converted to Christianity. She trusts Jesus as her Savior, and so she immediately uh, establishes a church in her home. It says she was, um, she says, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She actually houses the missionaries. And if you, if you keep going on to verse 16, there's this little girl who is possessed by a demon, it seems, and she's walking around telling fortunes and, and enslaved by these, two, by these men, and they, they're using her to make money. And, and Paul, it says, greatly annoyed with her. And I, I think that's a fascinating phrase. He, he's irritated with this woman, follow, this girl following him around, and he finally casts the demon out of her. And once he does that, oh, these men who've used her to make money no longer can make money by her. And so they're angry, and there's a mob that forms. And I, I don't know this for certain, but I believe this young lady was part of that early church as well. I believe this young lady, freed from this demonic possession, joined this early church. If you look to verse 25 of chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas having been thrown into prison after this mob was formed. We heard a great message on this the other day. Sing hymns in prison. They, the, the prisoners are listening to them rejoice at their after they've been beaten with rods and thrown into prison, and they're rejoicing at God, God liberates them by making their, their, their shackles fall off and, and breaking open the prison. And the Philippian jailer comes to them and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's part of that early church as well. We have a, a very interesting group of people, a collection of people who you would not necessarily have thrown together. You have a, 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 you know, a jailer, and a, and a woman who sells purple. And then if you look at verse 40, by the time they leave Philippi, it says in verse 40, um, and so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. There is an indication there that the brethren, the believers, have already assembled in Lydia's house and there's a church started there. So now turn with me to the book of Philippians, and we will see uh, the ministry that the church at Philippi had with the Apostle Paul, especially as it relates to the ministry of support. And there are two points to your message, the message I have for you this morning out of God's Word. The first, you'll notice there are some blanks who follow along. I have the, uh, the, the uh, outline here up on the screen as well. The first is simply this, that our gifts are participation in the ministry. Our giving, our gifts are participation in ministry. After the first few verses of introductory material, Paul launches into the body of the letter beginning in verse 3. Would you read with me? As he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Who's the you there? Who is that? It's the Philippian church. He's speaking to the, Paul is speaking to the Philippian church, those people we just briefly took a look at. And as Paul remembers Philippi, he doesn't think in terms of, of grief or regret or of the beatings he received or of the pain. He doesn't think every time I, I think of Philippi, I think of pain and rods and being in jail. He says, I, every, every time I think about you, I am, I, my heart is warmed. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship, that's your word, partnership, 
in the gospel from the first day until now. I want you to notice a few things. Number one, that our participation produces, or our support, sorry, produces joy and thanksgiving. Our support produces joy and thanksgiving. Our partnerships in the ministry knit our hearts with one another. Look at verse 3. He says there was regular thanksgiving. He gave thanks to God. They were a refreshment for him. Every time he thought about them, he thinks, God is so good. Thank you, God, for putting me into connection with these people, these sweet people. And then he says there's regular prayer for them always in every prayer of mine for you all. There's a, there's a, pro, a, a responsibility he feels to partner with his church and to pray for them as a missionary. Paul, as a missionary, is looking at his supporting church, the Philippians, and he says, you, I think of you, I pray for you always, and, I, I, and the reason for this support, the reason for this, sorry, prayer, for this joy and thanksgiving is their support, the fellowship in the gospel. He's not talking just about the fact they have warm feelings with each other, that, that, you know, we get along well. That's not what he means. Because the book of Philippians was a thank you note written back to the Philippian church for the financial support that they were able to give to Paul for his ministry. And because he was supported financially by these people, he is referencing this, and he says, your fellowship in the gospel from the beginning, the koinonia, the, the fellowship, the partnership, the close association, the sacrificial financial support, of my ministry, he says, that makes me joyful, and that makes me thankful because of the partnership we have together. Their support was regular. As soon as Paul was in the ministry, their ministries became intertwined. From the first day until now, their support was tied together. The partnership, the participation here, the support that they have produces joy and thanksgiving. Secondly, it produces results. Look at verse 6. And this verse, I believe, might be one of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses in the book of Philippians. In fact, most of the people, so many people I've heard quote this verse, use this verse as a proof text to assert the inevitability of progressive sanctification, that, that the one who began the good work and you will perform it until the day of salvation, meaning that the one who began the good work, that's salvation, and he will continue to perform it. That's progressive sanctification until the day you die. That, that, but the message of this verse is not that, actually. The message of this verse, you rightly understand what this verse is saying, and it's so powerful. Because in the context of that, there's no indication that Paul has shifted his, his topic, and now he's talking about their progressive sanctification. In the context here of the Philippian church thanking them for their financial gift, look at what this verse says. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's walk through this piece by piece. He begins with the one who began the good work. Who is that? God. Christ began the good work. God began this good work. That is no doubt that God was the one who started the work. Without God, our work is worthless, right? Uh, there's no reason that we should work without God's enabling power. John, in the book of John, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. We are completely dependent on the power of God. But notice, what is this good work? The good work is just the work of the ministry, the work that he's doing. He who began the good work, God began the good work. He's just talking about the work of the ministry. And here's the misunderstood part, I think, that causes so much confusion. The phrase is, in you. And so we immediately think, in terms of English speakers, is inside of us. But that's not what it says in Greek. 
And the Greek language, the word in, in Greek it's en, can, can mean a couple things. One, it can have the idea of, of something in something, like we typically say, or it can also be an instrumental. In other words, something by something. And if I reread this with that meaning, I think it'll come apparent what he's saying. He who began the good work by you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This phrase is used, in fact, let me give you a couple examples of this. When, when, uh, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says, but, now, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. It will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks. It says in you, but what he means is the Spirit is speaking what? Through you. In you is by you. It's using you as an instrument by which God is speaking. And our language sometimes is a little bit, um, uh, is not exactly clear in English of what he's saying there. But in Greek, it's more clear. And you see here the passage, what he means is, is very clearly in this, if you look at it, it, it fits the context perfectly. God, Paul is not saying that God has begun this good work within the Philippians and will perform it, but God has begun a good work through the Philippians and through their giving to him, and by the support of the Philippians, he will continue to perform that work. In fact, that work will continue to be performed how long? When will it be completed? The instrument of the good work is you, it's me. But I want you to notice this. The end of the work is that he will what? He will finish it. He will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Has the day of Jesus Christ come yet? No, it has not. We have not seen the rapture. We have not seen the, the, uh, the end times, the second coming of Christ. We are still awaiting the coming of our Lord. That is what we do as Christians. And until that day comes, this work will continue to move forward. The work of God will continue to work towards its completion. And this is what's amazing. The work of God does not stop when you die. Your sanctification stops when you die. The moment you die, the work that God began in you, if you want to think of it that way, the work that your salvation work that God did in you, and you, as you grow your salvation, your sanctification process, your growing and changing stops when you die. You can no longer grow, be more like Jesus. You are now glorified. But friends, the work here that he's talking about is instrumental. He's saying, you Philippian people, God used you, and through you, God has done a great work and that work will continue until Jesus returns. And that work, I'm telling you, is still continuing today. Today, we have results of the Philippians who gave this gift to Paul, and we see the work of the ministry even today. How do I know that that work has still continued? Friends, you have it in your hands. You're reading the book of Philippians. That's part of God's work that he did. It's amazing when you consider the participation in the ministry. They were participating, and God says, when you participate in other people's ministries, when you give the work, God does. And guess what? He will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you keep going, participation we see in verses 7 and 8 produces encouragement. This participation in the ministry, this partnership produces encouragement. He says, just as right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace, of God's gift. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. What a powerful statement here. He says, I have you in my heart. There is an encouragement of warm feelings here. He says, there's nowhere I go where I don't feel you're right with me. I have you with me. 
I have you deep in my heart, friends. How can he say this? Well, because he says, inasmuch, that's explaining how it is, both when I'm chained, both in my chains when he's bound by those who hate Christ, and two, in his defense and confirmation, his validation when he's able to speak freely about Christ, these people, these Philippian people, because of their partnership with him in giving, were partners with him of grace. Their partnership and giving was so much more than just writing a check or sending funds. Because they supported him, they were partners with him of God's grace. And then he says, this has created in me these Christ-like affections. This partnership, verse 8 speaks about, this partnership that was personal and deep. He says, I just want to spend time with you. I long to be with you. I love you dearly. And I don't think this would have happened had they not engaged in this kind of partnership with Paul. Look at verse 8, God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affections, the bowels, the, 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 the compassion of Christ. Our gifts, friends, church members, our gifts open the door for us to participate in ministry that happens all over the world. When you give, you're doing far more than just writing, uh, giving money to, to a ministry. You are participating in their ministry. You are partnering with them. You are part of their ministry, and God has promised that partnership will not go to waste. There is more to our giving, though, than the practical side. You might say, I will give because it's a partnership, because of these practical things, the effects of our giving here are seen, but giving is also more than that. Giving is a spiritual gift. Did you know that? The Bible lists giving as a spiritual gift. It has a spiritual element to it. In fact, God recognizes giving as an act of worship. Could you turn to the back of the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, we'll see that our gifts are an act of worship. How does our giving work? How does our giving go forward as an act of worship? Let's read a few verses here, 10 through 13, and then we'll walk through this passage and see what God is speaking to us today. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to notice something very, very interesting here in that I've put it this way, and I don't want this to be confusing, but giving follows blessing. What he says here in verse 10 is that there was a time when the Philippian church gave and then their giving stopped. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at last your care for me has again flourished. And the idea is, is that it has started again. They gave, and then there was a time of, of, of no giving, and then they started giving again. And Paul is saying, thank you for resuming your giving. And the reason he says this, Paul says, I'm rejoicing, I'm rejoicing greatly at this. He says in verse 10, look, I understand that at the time you couldn't give. You see that? And look at the second part of that verse. He says, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He says, I understand. I'm not connecting your giving, your lack, your stopping of giving with the no longer caring about me. That, that's not what happened. He says, I know you continue to love me, but your finances dried up. Like you were unable to give at this time. And he says, that, that doesn't come from a lack of character, a lack of love. 
You just lacked opportunity. But what happened once they had the opportunity once again? What did they do? They resumed giving. Once they were blessed by God, they didn't, they didn't get in their new habits. This is the thing that really, really concerns me about us as people, is that we get in new habits so quickly, don't we? It, take, it takes no time, and we're out of our habit and into a new one. And people say, well, bad habits are hard to break. Yeah, but new habits, I mean, it's amazingly easy actually to form them. And people, people get into habits. People get into regular habits. Speaking with a lady, and I hate to bring up COVID again, but I was speaking with a lady here at church uh, about this, and she said, you know, I, I, when, when, when we started streaming services, I got dressed, I went to my, my kitchen, I pulled up my laptop, and I watched the service there, and I, I, was, I, was, I dressed in my church clothes, and my Bible out, and I, and I worshiped the Lord, she says, but after about, about three or four weeks, I started, you know, just, just wearing my PJs. And then it would be like, oh, it's Sunday? And, and, oh, I, I guess I'll just watch it after the fact. I can go on there and watch it. And then it's so easy to get out of habit, isn't it? When you're doing the right thing, Satan will do anything he can to disrupt what you're doing. And God here points out the fact that as we are believers, as we, as we give, as we are blessed, let me put it this way, as we are blessed by God, giving should follow that blessing. We should be channeling our gifts outwardly. God gives to us and we give. Look at verse 11. He also teaches us here that his lack did not prevent his work. Paul is such a great example here. Look at verse 11. He says, um, not that I speak in regard to need, but I have learned in whatever state I am there to be content. He says, "I, I, I have learned in whatever state I find myself to be content. Giving follows blessing. And he learned that this lack he had, this, 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 he was content in his life, whatever state he found himself. Look at verse 12. He said he knew how to be abased and how to abound. It means he, was, he said, I'm good at being put down. How many of you would admit to that? I'm good at taking a punch, he says. I'm good at being thrown in jail. I, I, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound as well. I know how to be profitable. He says, everywhere in all things, I've learned to be full and I've learned to be hungry. I don't think a lot of us have any trouble being full. Some of us have a problem being hungry. My children have a problem being hungry. They tell me when they're hungry. And some believers are like that. They complain to God, Lord, I'm hungry. God says, I know, or Paul says here, I know how to be, uh, how to be hungry and how to be full, how to abound and how to suffer need. He says, I, I didn't need your gifts. When I was, when I was lacking, your, his, his lacking did not prevent the work of God going forward. Just because I lack these things, just because you stopped giving, he says, I, I kept going. I kept pursuing. I kept doing the work of the ministry. But the, the flourishing enabled, was enabled by God's strength and God's power. That's what he says in verse 13. And that's why he says uh, in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthened me. God's promise or his, his statement here that I can do all things through Christ is directly related to missing things, to, to having to deal with content, having to content himself with not having everything he needed. It's, it's a powerful truth that our giving should follow. As God blesses us, we should give, and that our giving means shared fruit. The kind of partnership here between church and missionaries established, how are they sharing? They're sharing in distress. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He begins with his perspective here of a missionary. 
you shared with my distress. Think of the encouragement it is to know that people are praying and caring for you when you go through affliction, when you go through distress, when, when you're facing unknowns. I've had the privilege of calling many missionaries and praying with them one-on-one -on -one and telling them, I'm praying for you. I, we love you. We know what you're going through. And, and you, the people at Harvest are behind you 100%. We are praying for you. And I, I've seen missionaries tear up saying, I mean, so much to know that, that we're partners together in this way. That, that, and I, this affliction that they're going through, we, we are with them. You know, distress here can either be oppression from outside, someone making life difficult in your church, government officials, people in the community, socio-political things going on, oppression from the outside. I believe also this can, affliction can mean oppression that comes from within yourself, major discouragement, anxiety, even depression due to lack of success like you thought. Whatever afflictions missionaries face, he says, we are sharing in distress. This giving means we are sharing in distress. And look at verse 15. The sharing may not be popular either. If you look at verse 15, he says this, now you Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. He says, it's not like there was a line of churches waiting to support me. It was only you. It was not very popular. There was no other church, as Paul left Macedonia, who was giving. Of all the people Paul ministered to, this was the only church that supported him, and that's hard for me to believe, but it's exactly what he says here. And here we see this point that though you may be the only one doing it, though your participation might be a lot of sharing and affliction, you will also bear fruit as the ministry goes forward. Look with me in verse 16 and 17. He says this, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the what? I seek the fruit that abounds to your what? Account. You see it? He says that when you gave, he says, I was sad that you stopped giving. I was hoping you would start giving again because I want you to receive the spiritual blessings and the spiritual rewards that will come from supporting a ministry. It's like you're going to be double dipping spiritually here. That as I receive spiritual rewards for leading people to Christ, as I am blessed spiritually, this fruit will be abound to your account as well that you can look at the people saved on the mission field. You can look at people who are rescued from, from oppression, from satanic oppression. You can look at people who turn their lives to Christ, and in one way you can say, Lord, I had a part in that. That's fruit to my account. When I share, when I give, I have shared fruit. And this shared fruit does not mean it gets divided you know, smaller and smaller. It's multiplied. We get to receive that fruit to our account. What an amazing truth. They have spiritual rewards applied to their heavenly account, so to speak, as people come to Christ through Paul's ministry. And thirdly, we see that giving pleases God. Giving pleases God. How does it please God? And here's where you see the support we give is more than a practical thing. It's a spiritual sacrifice. It's spiritual work. Our giving pleases God. First, our gifts are a sacrifice of worship. This is where the worship language comes in. Look at verse 18. He says, I, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Look at this phrase, a sweet-smelling sweet aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing. He says, I'm fine 
because I receive what Epaphroditus sent. The physical danger that Epaphroditus went through, which is cataloged ex- extensively in the book of Philippians, that, that he was at so much stress that people thought he was, he was close to dying because of what he went through. And Paul's letter, part of it was to say, look, he's okay. Epaphroditus made it. He's all right. Because you heard he was sick to the point of death. Oh, he was. He, he risked so much for my sake. He says the sacrifice is, is more than, than just transporting this gift. This is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. And he's not talking about the smell of money. He's talking about the fact that when we give, we are worshiping God. And the Old Testament describes sacrifices in this way. A couple of verses that talk about this. In Genesis 8, one of the first examples we have in the Old Testament of someone building an altar and offering to God. Here we have Noah getting off the ark. And, and, and as, they, as they worship the Lord through, through, through offering sacrifices to him, it says, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. What an amazing, what an amazing phrase. That God, it's almost like God smelled, smelled it, and He says, oh, that's so pleasing to me. The Lord said in His heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor again will I destroy every living thing as I've done. He, he makes a covenant with man, and the, the worship is described as a sweet-smelling sacrifice, something that God is well-pleased with. That's the other thing He says in Philippians, well-pleased sacrifice. It's ought to ring a bell for us as we remember verses like Romans 12:1. When it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and, there's our word again, acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. Another way of translating that word reasonable service is act of worship. We present ourselves to God that naturally follows that, that we should submit our things to God as well. How do you know if you're completely submitted to God? I believe that your partnerships will show it and your finances will show it. Verse 19 shows us that our, our giving here, our, our gifts of sacrifice and worship to God, our gifts do not mean we will lack. He talked earlier about his lacking, but look in verse 19, because I think sometimes there's a fear associated with giving. You know, if I give what God has entrusted to me, I will have less to provide for myself, and that is true, but that's where Paul gives this promise to us. God gives this promise through the pen of the Apostle Paul in verse 19. That's when he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The one giving is God. The action of God is to supply, but who's the audience here? Who's he talking to? Paul is talking to those who have given to support the ministry. He says, if you are partnering with people to spread the gospel, and we have this confidence that my God shall supply your need according to His riches, not according to our need according to His riches. God is good, and God, create, God gives us everything we need. Our, as we give, we will be sustained by Christ's riches. The resources of heaven will be at our disposal to use. We will not lack, and our gifts bring glory to God. Look at verse 20. He ends with the doxology. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. It's amazing. This is not to puff people up. This giving is not to puff you up. It's to give glory to God. We don't receive glory for giving back to Him that which He's entrusted to us. We receive heavenly rewards and commendation from Him, but He alone receives the glory. We can give glory to God when we support others and when others support us because our gifts bring glory to God. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be part of a church that can together support missions? 
There's nothing preventing you personally from supporting missions, but as a church, we, every, out of every dollar we collect, there's a percentage of that. It's like 14% we send to missionaries. And we budget money out of our general fund, and there is a lot of missionary giving that goes on. And when we do this, it's not just a, a regular thing that we just say, okay, we're just doing a missions thing, or we're doing a missions conference. There is a deeply spiritual, worshipful part of giving to missions. I just have a few questions as we conclude here. I mentioned this at the beginning. Those who've been freed by Jesus should respond by supporting the spread of the gospel. You look at all those in Acts chapter 16, you could say they're freed by the gospel, especially think of that Philippian jailer who was a jailer, yet he was freed, right? You, you think of the little girl who was freed from demonic oppression. And what, what, what burden they had to support the ministry as it went forward. They knew what Christ had done for them. They said, we've got to support the ministry. My first question for you is simply this. Have you been freed by, Christ, by Jesus Christ? Have you been freed? Have you come to Christ and trusted Him as your Savior, receiving forgiveness for your sins forever? Have you been freed from the guilt of your sin? Have you been freed from the pursuit of your own pleasure? Once you're freed, the response is to assist others and freeing others. We must spread the good news. Obviously, Jesus is the greatest example of the free, the one who gives up Himself humbly. Philippians chapter 2, he gives Jesus as an example. He says, look, the, the, he, he, had, he, he was highly exalted. Yet, yet let this mind, this attitude be in you, who is in Christ Jesus, who, who made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in, in, in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death of a cross. And, and Jesus' humility is demonstrated in his coming and his giving of himself. And so I ask you, do you reflect the attitude of Christ in coming and giving of yourself and of what God has given you in partnering with people who need to hear the gospel? Uh, what, what an amazing opportunity we have to partner with missionaries around the world. Uh, as Eric was leading the song, Here am I, Lord, send me. There's a line in there which he brought attention to that's fascinating. It says, you know, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. But at the end of that first stanza, he says, I will go near or far away. There's a need for us to be willing to be missionaries near. There's a need for us to be missionaries far away. And maybe God's working in your heart to call you into missions. And you say, I want to go where people have not heard the gospel of Jesus. I want to go across the world and be partnered with people over here to spread the good news of Christ there. Or maybe you say, I, need, I can't go. I, I, there's no way I could go. Physically, I'm unable. Um, but my heart wants to go. And when my heart wants to go, what you can do is you can be a partner with people in missions by supporting their work around the world, just like he says here. And let me tell you the confidence that we have. He says, being confident of this very thing, that, that when God does a work through you, he will continue to perform it until the end. We, we can be so, so grateful that not everyone can go, but everyone can give. And I'm not asking you to give a million dollars today. I'm not saying that you need to, to, to empty out your bank account, anything like that. I'm just asking you, do you partner with missions? Do you partner with the spread of the gospel? And by giving, we have fulfilled one of the most important roles for the church to have, and that is the participation, the fellowship of the ministry. It's a privilege for me as a pastor of our church to be able to speak to you and encourage you in the presence of these missionaries, to say, we want to partner with missions. We want to partner with missionaries all over the globe, and we can do that by supporting them through prayer, but also putting feet to our words, and by doing the work of the ministry and by supporting them. Would you today commit your heart 
to being sensitive to where God would have you lead in your life. Let's bow for a moment of quiet, and we'll pray in just a moment, but I want to ask you a few questions in these moments of quiet, that how has the Lord worked in your heart? Are you participating in the ministry, or have you been selfish, self-centered, and not seeing giving as an important thing? As the pianist plays in just a moment, I'd like you to have just a minute or so to deal with God as He's worked in your life through this passage of Scripture and commit yourself to Him fully. thank you for the privilege of participating in ministry with people all over the world. We can only be in one place at one time, but Lord, you've given us the wonderful privilege of being able to partner with people all over this globe. And we can, through giving and through support, we can have an impact through your grace. Your grace can have a huge impact on the lives of others. And Father, it's just an amazing thing to consider that you've You've given us this example in the book of Philippians of a church, a small church probably, but a church that was committed, being freed people that they were, being committed to sharing with others so that the gospel could go forward. Lord, may we have a burden for that. May we not be just content to think about ourselves and think about our community and think about our, our needs and our, our own issues. Father, may we have a, a, a worldwide perspective, a global perspective of reaching lost people. And Father, we, we, we have fallen woefully short, and all of us have in different ways in this area, and I pray that you would forgive us for our sinful uh, selfishness, but Father, help us now to commit to giving of ourselves to serve you, and, and, and giving it all over, su- submitting our lives to you, that we could in prayer say, take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated to you. Take, take everything that I do, where I go, what I say, and Lord, use it for your glory, for eternal rewards and eternal benefit because you alone